This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got an exceptional show on building. Yeah, you know what? We've talked to quite a few builders in the past, but I think Lane Fab Design Builds doing something unique in Vancouver, and that's why we had one of its founders, Bryn Davidson, on the show. Absolutely. Super progressive company, really progressive and interesting guy. Bryn, he's, he's done a TED Talks before. This is our first yeah, person he's, who's he's, ever done a TED Talks, I think. I think he's, uh, yeah, he's the first Except TED for Talk. for you in front of the mirror. <laughs> yeah, <well. laughs> yeah, don't go into my uh, hard drive here. <laughs> but uh, no, he's also, he's pretty active on Twitter. I mean, it, he started LaneFab and he talks about uh, starting LaneFab Design Build. Right to integrate uh, energy efficiency and design as kind of key components. And I think the city's really getting behind the type of building these guys are, are looking to do in Vancouver. And it's, it's, really, it's a really exciting company and a really exciting time. And you know what? It's interesting because Vancouver is going to embrace this model for sure. And and what better city than in a city that's had like to embrace envelope first in a city that's had so many envelope issues. <laughs> um, but uh, this is this is actually a really phenomenal interview. You're going to learn a ton. Yeah. But Matt, before we get to our interview with Bryn, we actually forgot to mention that we were on the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing podcast. Yeah, exactly. That was that was we did that interview what a month month and a half ago. But uh, yeah, it was a general conversation about investment strategies uh our investments how we got into real estate they, yeah. they went deep it uh, was yeah it was uh, an you, enjoyable you, you was, started crying at one yeah, part of the end there was it, 
it went to unexpected places. Let's just yeah. put it that way. But it, you know, that's one of the largest Canadian real estate uh, podcasts out there, and uh, and a lot a few people have reached out since that were listeners of that uh, podcast, and they got in touch with us, and they're listeners. So welcome. We're super happy to hear that we're getting uh, some new listeners. And uh, for sure, yeah. If you're interested, head over to their site, and we will have a link in the show notes. They call that synergy. Yeah, that, that is what they call it, I think. <laughs> Collaboration. Um, anyways, but yeah, no, and also thank you so much for the reviews. Uh, we read them all. Really excellent reviews. I think we're up to like 145 or Something 146. Like so we really appreciate that. And that's the best way that we can grow our podcast. So if you like what you hear, get in touch or head over and uh, give us a review on whatever platform you listen to this show on. But anyway, without further ado, let's let's check out our interview with Bryn. Yeah, Bryn Davidson. This is a good one. Okay, so we're here with Bryn Davidson, co-owner of Lane Fab, and on the design side, uh, Bryn, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. Yeah, hey Bryn, thanks for taking the time today. So, Bryn, no can you uh, can you start maybe by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, so, like I said, I'm the co-owner of Lane Fab Design Build. Uh, my business partner Matt runs the construction side. Uh, we've been operating as Lane Fab since 2009. Uh, we built the first laneway house in the city back in 2010, and that really kind of launched us on our current course. Uh, at the moment, laneway houses are about half of what we're doing. Um, the other half is full-size homes and major renovations, duplexes, things like that. And uh, recently, uh, Bryn, I watched your – you had a TED Talk which is kind of, you're the first guest I think we've had that, that has been on the TED Talk series. But it strikes me that you guys have a, a larger vision than just a, a construction company. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I I had originally trained as an engineer, and I had worked as an engineer for a few years before going back to architecture school. And part of the reason to go back to school was because I was really interested in sort of how design and the environment come together. Um, so when I came out of architecture school and started my own practice, um, green building and sustainable urbanism and transportation, all of those things were very central to what I wanted to be working on. So when we started this company in 2009, um, we right from the get-go decided that we wanted a practice that would do green building as the standard and not as the exception. Um, and uh, all along the way, we've always wanted to kind of uh, be advocates as well as professionals. So in terms of, you know, pushing the city on their policy or, you know, doing talks or whatever else. But we, we definitely see all of that as, as sort of integral to the, the mission of uh, what we're doing. Okay. Can you, can you maybe um, unpack that a bit? So how does housing kind of relate to climate change and, and how can we improve housing's carbon footprint in Vancouver? Well, when it comes to, to buildings, I mean, especially in Vancouver, buildings are a really big part of the, the greenhouse gas pollution, all of, you know, the pollution that we're putting up into the air. Because um, every time, you know, if you have an older house, when your furnace kicks on or you take a shower and there's hot water coming out or even, you know, just using power, all, all of that energy is somewhere producing some, some greenhouse gas pollution. Um, we, we do better than most because we have a lot of hydropower, but we're still burning a whole lot of natural gas and in some of the older houses burning oil. 
so that's that's where we're using it directly um, and people are you know somewhat familiar with the way that their buildings use energy um, the sort of indirect part is is the way that we use energy for transportation um, and how that is really determined by the way we build our cities so if we you know just build a bunch of sprawl out into the suburbs then we make it so that everybody has to drive um, and you can't really accomplish anything without getting in your car and driving and, and you know, burning more fossil fuels. Um, by contrast, if we build walkable cities, you know, where you can walk to transit, you can walk to the corner store, then all of a sudden we give people the option to walk or to bike or take transit, um, all of which helps bring down their pollution footprint. So the, the aspect of building is really two pieces. It's how good is that building itself? And then how walkable is the location that you're building it? Right. And then presumably we, we end up with a healthier population just in general as well. Oh, yeah. There's lots of studies that, that show that people who live in walkable neighborhoods, they're like five or six pounds lighter and healthier in general. Um, it, there's a lot of, there are a lot of co-benefits uh, to, to walking. So, so Bryn, I, you you were posting about this on on Twitter, I guess in late 2017. But when the Vancouver uh, came out with its new housing strategy, where they're going to implement a, a strategy with 72,000 new homes over the next 10 years, can you speak a little bit about your thoughts on that? Uh, presumably, based on what you're saying, you're you're for increasing density in the city and and changing zoning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, changing, I mean, density is important because it supports local services, but it also means that you're, you're putting more people in walkable neighborhoods as opposed to trying to push them out to the car dependent suburbs. Um, so that's important. It's also important to give people housing options, um, so that their only option isn't building some big giant single family house. Um, and so I think this new policy is important because it's the first time that we've really started to question um, the extent to which single-family zoning really dominates so many cities in North America. Right. So I think I think in that regard, this is really critical. Because um, even with the laneway houses that we build, um, it's nice because now you have the option of having three different dwelling units on a single property. And so a lot of our clients are are multi-generational families. So you've, you know, you're building a laneway house for the kids or for the parents, and then maybe the other brother or sister is living in the suite. Um, so it gives people a lot of different options for downsizing in place, aging in place, all of those kind of things. And I think that we can just go much further in terms of bringing, you know, a diverse range of housing into all of our neighborhoods. And so on that note, uh, Bryn, so do you think laneways, coach houses, micro lofts, tiny homes, uh, is this where the direction of, of Vancouver, is this the future of the city? Well, it's part of it. I mean, of those 72,000 homes, whatever the city is targeting, you know, laneway houses are a small fraction, so like 6,000 or something like that. So I, I don't, I think that laneway houses are and tiny homes or any of that stuff is a very important part of the mix. Um, but they're really, they're, they're not substitutes for doing, you know, good, you know, medium density, mid-rise housing, you know, like you would see in most European cities. Um, so I think if you want to, you know, keep the neighbor, the sort of, the, the sort of 
existing homes within a neighborhood, then these little infill houses make a lot of sense. Um, but if you're rebuilding the entire lot, then you should have options to do something different, whether it's a fourplex or a sixplex or something um, that's you know more cost effective and more efficient maybe than a than just doing another laneway house and single family house. Mm-hmm. It, it, this is kind of more of an abstract question, Bryn. But if you could snap your fingers and make one change to the way we do things in Vancouver currently, uh, in terms of of building, uh, what would it be? Uh, I'd probably change RS1 zoning to something like RM8, which is uh, one of the newer multifamily apartment zones, sort of low-rise townhouse zones that allows, you know, a wide range of different housing types. And just let the market have at it? Yeah, I mean, I like personally, I, I have a strong bias towards fine-grain development, so development that happens, say, on, an, on a single lot or two lots. I don't, I don't have any great... Uh, love for, you know, whole block redevelopments, whether it's a podium tower or even a row house. I think that that kind of stuff needs to happen. But I, I, I really like fine grain development. So what I'd like to see is that we kind of take away some of the perverse disincentives against small lot development um, so that we can do things like duplexes, fourplexes, sixplexes, at apartment densities, but on small lots, um, so that we we keep a real mix of different age of buildings, different types, and we end up with something you know more like you know 10th Avenue near City Hall, which is an artistic zone. You know, there's a really interesting mix of old heritage character buildings, of 60s apartment buildings, um, you know, just all sorts of different things that are mixed in there, and you know they're not much taller than the street trees, and they they kind of coexist quite peacefully. And, you know, another example is Strathcona, where we've got this really odd mix of, you know, little apartment buildings and houses and, you know, new stuff and old stuff um, that came in before we adopted zoning. Um, so I think something like that, if if I was to kind of push us in one direction, is, is kind of the way we would go, um, at least as a, as a counterpoint to the larger development that's already happening through spot rezonings. Right. And can you speak just a little bit about the perverse disincentives that kind of struck me there in terms of duplexes, fourplexes? Well, there's there's all sorts of just all this baggage in our zoning from, from the last decades. Um, for instance, in, in single family in RS1, we can build a house with a basement suite, but that basement suite isn't allowed to open into the front yard. And so... We end up with this really silly situation where you've got the house, the basement suite, and the laneway house all fighting for space in the backyard, while the front yard is just this formal leftover space. And even now, you know, we're doing passive house projects and we're trying to capture sun for heating and stuff like that. And if we can't open to the front yard, then we're really missing a lot of opportunities. And the, the reason, the only reason we can't do that is because the zoning says you can't have more than one door facing the street. Right. Because they don't want it to look like a duplex. Mm-hmm. Because the zoning is so antagonistic towards multifamily housing that we've got all of this baggage written into our zoning that really enshrines single-family character as the highest and best use, above affordability, above environment, above anything. So well, that's that's something that we've got to change. Um, the other aspect of it is that when you look at apartment zones, they usually have a minimum lot frontage in order to do 
multifamily buildings. So they'll say, you know, you have to have a minimum 60 or 100 foot lot or something like that. And what that does is it means that you can't do a 1.4 or 1.2 FSR project on a single lot. Um, and so the reasons, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that they just want parking to go in underground garages and you need larger lots to do that. Mm-hmm. So from my point of view, I'd like to see all of the rules about minimum frontage, um, about minimum subdivision size, all of that stuff just taken away, all the minimum parking standards. Um, I think the market will provide the parking as much as you need. Mm-hmm. And in places, there doesn't need to be parking. So I think there should be a lot more flexibility in terms of what we're doing. Yeah, it does seem definitely outdated, especially now that the city has, has added so many different um, you know, shared bike, shared car platforms all over the city um that well, you the know, culture is changing and the culture is changing dramatically no that's a that's a really really good point um so Bryn, kind of changing gears uh you talk about um the passive house uh in in your lane fab um i believe it's in the ted talk yeah well uh, and on the on and their on website the, and, and you're on your building site. them in the the city can you can you describe what the passive house is for our listeners yeah, I mean, Passive House is similar to LEED um, in that it's a certification system for buildings. Um, so you can create a certified Passive House, and that Passive House will use something like 90% less energy for heating compared to a typical new home. So what it is is it's a it's really the world's best system for for creating really efficient buildings. Um, and what it does is instead of relying on a bunch of gadgetry like, you know, geo exchange or solar panels or this or that, it really just relies on lots of insulation, good air tightness and a really good air exchanger. So, you know, what they, they call it a kind of envelope first approach where you're really focusing on the shell of the building, uh, because that's the thing that doesn't have any moving parts and lasts a long time and is very reliable. And what we've found is that these these passive or projects that get certified as a passive house actually really deliver on the energy reductions, and they do it over a long period of time. So um, unlike some of the other green building rating systems, which are kind of all over the map in terms of their actual performance, um, passive house has actually been really consistent. So that's part of why I think the city and then also the BC step code is pushing everybody towards something that's a bit like passive house. And and in terms of my thought immediately when I was reading up on passive house, uh, this idea of the passive house is, is it foreground um, a, a lot of costs or, or put a lot of costs up front? Like, is it is it very, what, what types of prices are we talking about? Uh, it really depends on what you're comparing it to. Um, you know, if, if you're looking at a typical apartment building or something, I don't know, it's maybe 5% premium on the hard costs. Um, there's, huh. there's a bit of extra cost in the first couple of projects figuring out how to do it. But after that, um, by the second or third project or fourth project, um, the, the history we've seen is that most teams can deliver these at a cost competitive with, with regular market construction. Um, and especially in the world of single family homes in Vancouver, where, you know, every single family home is kind of a, a luxury product in a way. 
And so the the cost to go to passive house could really just get lost in the typical homes, you know, tile budget or, you know, just the, the shape and, you know, all the other things that we do that are kind of extravagant with our single family mm-hmm. houses. Um, so there, there is a little bit of a premium, but it's most of it's just in the kind of figuring out how to do it the first time around. And you would assume that the homeowner would, would save uh, a massive about a m- amount of money over time, just in terms of efficiency. Yeah, I mean, it, it does. Although the, the challenge we have in BC is that our gas and electricity are still really cheap. Mm. Um, when you look at Europe or even Ontario or California, Anywhere else where they're paying much higher utility costs, the uh, the payback is much faster. Um, in BC, it does it does definitely pay for itself. It's cash flow positive, you know, day one. But um, the big part is that you're just getting a much better, much more comfortable building. Right. So you know, if you live in a house with super thick walls and really nice triple glazed windows, it doesn't ever feel chilled. It's very quiet. Um, so if you're building, you know, a, a high end home in Vancouver and you're not getting these things, you're really missing out on, on getting the best building. Great. Um, so speaking about, uh, other cities, other countries, how does Vancouver relate to other cosmopolitan cities in terms of building sustainability in your opinion? Well, I think Van- Vancouver is a leader in North America for sure. Um, I, I think, you know, that's, I think that's pretty undisputed. Um, when you go further abroad, you can look at cities like Brussels, Belgium, where they've had passive house as basically the minimum building code for almost a decade now. Hmm. Um, and they've been doing, you know, a lot of really interesting stuff. Um, and you see that, you know, the architecture firms and construction companies, you know, after a couple of years of working with passive house, all of a sudden they start doing, you know, a lot more kind of interesting stuff um, just because they've, they've sort of, when you start getting into designing passive house, you have to kind of throw away a lot of what you learned <laughs> and what you've done in the past. And you almost else have to relearn how to design from scratch. And so those first few projects that people do are usually pretty boxy and usually pretty simple. But as the knowledge and the products and everything gets better, you see a lot more sophistication kind of coming back into the architecture. Um, but in general, in, in Vancouver, I think they've done a really good job um, of supporting Passive House, um, starting with, you know, granting thick wall exclusions, because um, you don't want that, that really thick wall to count against your floor area, or, or right. nobody would do it. So when I talk to municipalities, I say, hey, the first thing you got to do is get a thick wall exclusion, because if people are losing square footage to their thick walls, nobody's going to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that you find that the city has has been relaxed in terms of because um, you think about an area like Strathcona where the houses I mean we got mostly twenty five foot lots with uh, the houses are very close together um, you know in a case like that you find that the city has has been been offering relaxations in terms of uh, thick walls. Well, I mean, Strathcona is an odd duck. I mean, I would tend to look at RS1, which is, you know, the vast majority of the rest of the city. Right. Um, and in RS1, they've been granting us height relaxations and building depth relaxations. Um, we're now getting a 2% uh, floor area bump for the, the mechanical spaces for the this air exchanger. Um, and then hopefully in the next month or two, they're going to start actually providing cash incentives uh, to offset the extra design and certification costs. Great. 
Um, so they've, they've really been doing a lot. And, you know, because of those incentives, you know, we've been moving towards a place where passive house would be our default standard for all full-size homes. Um, and the only reason we would do that is because of the incentive and relaxation packages that are in place. So it, it becomes a much, not a much harder, but it is a harder sell when we go to a different city that doesn't have those incentives. Just uh, thinking about kind of cultural changes, you guys have been, I guess, at this, what, for uh, nine years now, almost a decade. Have you seen over the last decade a huge cultural shift in the city? Like, And, I, I, and when I say that, I mean sort of generally, but also kind of at, at the city and across all levels? Um, you mean with regard to sort of climate and the environment yeah. or with Yeah, and building practices and, and just the direction of the city, even people that are, you know, approaching you for these types of houses or, or laneway homes, like is it, what, what's changed? Yeah, I mean, on the demand side, there's definitely the last three years or even two years has seen a big uptick in terms of people asking about passive house and, or coming in and requesting that. Um, we are a bit of an outlier in that we, we branded around green building from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, a third of our clients would come to us, you know, in part because they really love that environmental aspect. Um, a third of them were persuadable. And a third really didn't care. They just liked the design. Um, and in which, in those cases, we just do it anyway. Mm-hmm. We say, hey, this is how we do it. Um, but, yeah, in general, Vancouver is, I mean, Vancouver has a long history, you know, going back to even the 70s and, you know, when the the freeways were stopped and there was a regional plan that was created. Like, there's a long history there that that goes way beyond what most other North American cities are doing. So, I mean, even when I was looking at grad schools, you know, looking at UBC and they had just built um, the CK Choice Center, which is this, you know, early green building out on the UBC campus. Right. Um, and that that was a real indicator to me that this was something that was being, you know, taken seriously here um, in comparison to other cities. So, so that's in part that was kind of a question I was thinking. Like, it, it sounds like you're not originally from Vancouver, but you're you're you started your business in Vancouver for a reason. Yeah, I mean, we my wife and I moved here to go to to UBC for grad school, and then we just basically stayed after that. Um, so I was studying architecture, and she's a transportation planner. Great. Oh, wow. Power two. couple here. <laughs> two, two. <laughs> um, excellent. So, so Bryn, we've got this uh, quick segment called the Five Wire, five quick questions about, uh, about Vancouver. Can you stick around for that? Yeah, sure. Excellent. Uh, so your favorite neighborhood in Vancouver? Well, that's the one I live in, Mount Pleasant, Lower Main Street. Okay. Favorite bar or restaurant? We've already talked about Budgie's Burritos. <laughs> Favorite bar or restaurant? Uh, it's anything with a really good beer menu. Right. Um, I'd probably go with something like the Alibi Room is probably my favorite beer menu. Great place. Downtown Penthouse or Westside Mansion? You may, you may actually, maybe maybe we should say downtown micro loft or Westside uh, Lane. <laughs> well, I'd, take, I'd, I'd take the penthouse too, but uh, um, no, I I I love living in in a, I, we live in a loft on the fifth floor of a live work building in Mount Pleasant, and I I love being able to walk everywhere. So I, I don't have any desire to be in a big house out out in the burbs. Right. Right. Where do you uh, take friends and family from out of town, the first place you take them in Vancouver? 
Uh, probably the, the five breweries that are within three blocks of our condo. <laughs> Good first night. <laughs> and last, Bryn, Brassneck or Main Street Brewing? I think I'd have to go with Brassneck. Brassneck, um, nice. They're, they're our closest. They're, they have the sort of most interesting, unique, rotating collection. And they were um, there first. Yeah. They were there first, yeah. And so we've, we've watched them kind of grow into the hood, and then the other ones follow. Uh, Main Street has two or three beers that I really, really like. Um, but I think Brassnick, uh, I'd have to go with them. Do you have a favorite Pilsner in Vancouver? <laughs> I'm asking well, for a friend. Yeah, asking for a friend. <laughs> they also friend, named Adam. Yeah, I'd be the wrong guy to ask about Pilsners. Yeah. Uh, my, my go-to would be an Imperial IPA or an Imperial Stout or something like that. So pretty much the opposite. Wow, that's in Braden's wheelhouse right there. <laughs> He's the IPA champ here. Um, <laughs> excellent. Well, uh, no, thank you very much, Bryn. That was that was fantastic. Yeah, that was and, really uh, interesting stuff. Thanks and how time. can people find out more about uh, you and about LaneFab and what you guys are doing? Uh, they can go to LaneFab.com. Um, where there's a lot of uh, finished pictures of our projects and on there. Um, there's also a link to the TEDx talk. Great. Um, they can there's we put some stuff on facebook uh in terms of some of our construction stuff if they want to see pictures of you know a house getting built um if they want to hear me rant about city policy or talk about beer then they can follow me on twitter perfect (laughs) (laughs) we do (laughs) excellent well have a great uh rest of your day and thanks for joining us thanks again yeah no problem thanks a lot So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Bryn Davidson from LaneFab Design Build. Super interesting conversation with Bryn. Really enjoyed having him on and learning about, uh, you know, the envelope first homes and passive houses. Yeah. Houses. Houses, Houses, I think. But the, the interesting thing I was thinking about is, you know, like, once these, it's so awesome that these are coming to Vancouver. And it's awesome that the city, I think, is going to support these in a huge way. Um and, and the fact that it's going to be a really efficient home. I just think there's going to be a huge learning curve on behalf of the general public. For to, sure. You know, like their homes essentially without heating sources, right? Right. And, uh, and, and, you know, you have to imagine that they're probably a lot more comfortable than, than any, any house with forced air or maybe radiant heat or whatever. But it's just kind of wrapping your mind around, uh, like, this this is a new style of building. Yeah, and you know what? it's not necessarily new, but it's new to us. New new to Vancouver, and it's the future. And I I do think there's going to be a learning curve. It, it I think of Olympic Village, uh, you know those, those on the grid, <laughs> 2010 that yeah. were built, and you know people are a little sheepish, but I think um yeah this is this is the future of building here in the city. Super fascinating. So Matt, maybe we'll cut for the day, but before we do that, uh, head over to our website, sign up for some of our resources. We've got private. Private client services. What is private client services, Adam? Matt, if you're not using private client services, you're standing still while the rest of us power walk by. It is phenomenal. It gives you sold prices. It gives you listings, updates, 36 to 72 hours before MLS, public MLS. And uh, yeah, it's just the best resource out there. Best yeah. research And tool. you know what? So many people are reaching out to get signed up to PCS and it is overwhelmingly positive, the feedback. Yep. So don't miss out on that. We also have a mobile app in which you can look at real estate while you're on the go. Yeah, so you're on the go. You you drive by a building. You point your no. You you pull over. Okay, you, you park, pull over. You park. 
you're driving your motorcycle you, you turn whip the car your off <laughs> okay yeah no but you, you you get my drift you can point it at any building figure out if if there's listings they call that augmented reality it basically has all the functions of pcs but it's on the go super uh, useful mobile app with all the integrated features and that's over at our site at vancouver real estate podcast.com and then sign up for our mailing list you get deal of the month what is deal of the month deal of the month every month we find a deal we post it if you want to know why it's a deal Send me an email. I'll tell you. Get in touch. But Matt, <laughs> how can people get in touch with you? 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or, or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also have the nonpartisan email line, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Never. That's <laughs> what we're, we're definitely not in the business of hurting anyone's feelings, especially if he's family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Take care. 2,000 Faces for Radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs>